reading from Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the street and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and began to teach people. When the high priests and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, 
Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people to revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Thanks so much, Mel, for um, that really interesting reading, isn't it? The, the story's um, yeah, so fascinating, and we're going to be spending some time thinking about that together uh, today, so um, keep the passage open if you would like to, and um, uh, let me just say again, so wonderful to be with you. I really enjoy being able to visit churches like yours. I would normally be at Broadview Baptist with my family, but um, it's so good to be with you here and to, um, yeah, to have the encouragement of that. Um, I trust that you'd um, be encouraged in some way as well and would love to just um, to meet you. So come and say hi after if you'd like to. Um, yeah, would love to share more about what, what God's doing on campus um, and just get to know what's going on in your life. So um, uh, let's, uh, as we... Um, as we uh, Heard in, heard in the reading, we're going to focus on one of the episodes from the very early days of the Christian church uh, today. So uh, we've just had, had Pentecost Sunday, uh, so I thought Acts might work as a, a sort of one-off talk like this, um, which will help us keep thinking about God's mission to all the world. Um, so we're going to focus on verse 14 onwards, um, but to get us thinking uh, about this, I want to reflect back on a conversation I had a few months ago at a Connect and Share lunch uh, we called it, uh, a lunch that our church kind of organised uh, to get help people get to know each other. So, very descriptive name, probably could have done slightly better maybe, but it, it worked, and the way it worked um, was that some people would volunteer to host a lunch, and others would say, I'd love to come to a lunch, and then someone organised people who don't already know each other super well to be having lunch together. Um, it's a very simple idea, but it was a great way to get to know some people that we hadn't really spent much time with before. Um, so Jody, my wife and I, we hosted a lunch, we had a great time, no idea about our guests, I presume they did as well, but um, we really enjoyed ourselves and especially loved the chance to meet a few ladies who had grown up in Africa but had moved to Australia for study. And so we got <clears throat> talking about, the, uh, about lots of different things, but one of the things we talked about was just like, what's been different so far about life in Australia? What are you noticing? Uh, we talked about food, how um, some of the foods they were used to, it's a little bit hard to find here. Um, we talked about family and friends, just like finding your people, like who are your connections and, and, um, and that sort of thing as you move to a, an, an unfamiliar place. But the thing that most stuck out to me was this comment by one of them. Um, one thing um, she said that is quite different is that I've noticed you don't really worship or talk about God in public. People don't really talk about God or spiritual things in public. That stuck out because, of course, it's so true. Like, 
we just sort of know that's the case uh, if you've lived in Australia for a while. But she wondered whether this might just be an Adelaide thing. So she hadn't visited much more of Australia yet. She said, is this just something about you Adelaide people? Are you just so polite and you'd like sort of reserved or something like that? And wondered whether maybe other parts of Australia would be more uh, sort of different in this regard. Uh, of course, we know that it's actually pretty similar wherever you go um, around our country and in our culture. So I really loved her insight because here were some sisters in Christ with eyes to see something of our culture, which to her looks strange, but to us, I suspect, feels very, very normal. The question it raised for me is, should that be something that we comfortably sit with as Christian people, if that's, if that's where you're coming from? Should it matter to us that our Australian culture does not really know how to have a conversation about God and spirituality and belief and those sorts of things in, in more public life, uh, in everyday conversation? Uh, there is this rule of etiquette that in polite conversations, you don't talk about two things. What are they? It's religion and politics, isn't it? makes me think uh, whether our African friend has helped us maybe stop and ask who came up with that rule, um, because not everyone lives like that, uh, and so should we live like that's a rule worth following. Um, We're going to see in today's passage the idea that I should or even could keep talk of God out of my public speech, the way I am with with people beyond my, my sort of immediate family, just makes no sense at all. And so the challenge of today's passage is that it opens our eyes uh, to the fact that, yes, making disciples in Australia uh, can be hard, partly because um, uh, of some things that were actually present in the pages of the Bible as well. So that's going to be really helpful for us. The two things we're going to see that connect with this story in the Bible and I think Australian culture and our lives are these. Um, Firstly, it's going to require us to question two commonly held beliefs. The first is that religion is a private matter that should be kept to ourselves. Um, Everyone says that. Most Christians believe it. It's very easy to buy into that way of thinking or even just be unaware that that's what we're doing. And the second is uh, there is this secular story of human intellectual progress, a story which has been really dominant for the last decades in the West, And that story says that Christianity and all religions are kind of like fairy tales that kids believe and with proper education and enlightenment, religions will just kind of die out. Um, That is when people get more educated, science answers more of our questions, Christianity and religious belief in general will just fade into the pages of history. Um, So these are two points we're going to cover today. I'm sorry if you like three points in your sermons. I just couldn't think of another good one, but I think these two will will be helpful for us. So keep your Christianity to yourself, first point, and then uh, Christianity will just die out and become irrelevant is the second one we'll come and think about. So uh, keep your Christianity to yourself. Just um, five chapters in to the book of Acts, we heard in the reading that the message that Jesus is Israel's long-awaited king is really gaining momentum. Um, there are probably not a huge number um, numerically uh, of, of people who would call themselves Christians, maybe a couple of thousand at this point, but it's happened quick and the momentum is growing. And as we heard, people from everywhere in great numbers are turning to Jesus, being convinced that he was crucified for their rebellion against God and raised by God into resurrection life. People in their thousands are coming to Jesus and believing and participating in this new community. Which all sounds pretty harmless, doesn't it? When you say it like that, you think, what could possibly be the problem? Some people joining a religion that's on about loving others, healing sickness, 
doing good, what could possibly be the problem with that? Well, the problem is that the message of Christianity is unavoidably political. Jesus is king, is true, and that is a threat to people who think that they are king in one way or another, that they should be in charge, they should be the centre of attention, like the religious and political leaders at the time. We read about them in verse 17. The high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They hate that the apostles are speaking openly and publicly about Jesus. They hate that the people are turning to Jesus in their thousands because they see that Jesus is a threat to their power, is a threat to their influence and to their way of life. So, what do they do? They say, well, you guys, you want to talk about Jesus, you want to say he's king, uh, that's fine, you can do that as much as you like in private and in the public jail. They find a very private place for them to talk about Jesus, the public jail, uh, will force you to keep Christianity to yourself by locking you in a box together. That's their strategy. But God has other ideas. An angel breaks them out of jail, we don't get told a lot of detail about this, how this happens, um, and says to them, don't listen to those guys, uh, you're going to be continuing to do what you have been doing up until this point. Verse 19, during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. The angel says, go and stand in the temple courts and he says, tell the people all about this new life. Amazing. Uh, and so they do. At daybreak, they get straight back to it. In the temple courts, there they are teaching the people. There is this deep irony uh, here in that on the one hand, we see the apostles, ordinary everyday men, fishermen, some of them, mostly uneducated, they are the ones teaching the people. While on the other hand, the religious leaders are not teaching, but rather bickering about politics. They should have been the ones in the temple courts teaching the people, but instead they're having a committee meeting, trying to figure out how to solidify their power and exclude those who are causing trouble. Sadly, as we all know, some churches still live this way, more interested in the committee meeting, in the church politics, than people. May that never be the case uh, here. On the positive side, this is an episode that is so encouraging for us because it shows that sharing the gospel is meant to be something that any believer, empowered by God's Holy Spirit, can do. You don't need to have a title, you don't need to be one of the fancy religious leaders, you don't need to even have a theological education, you don't have to have any education. You just have to be willing, as they were, to share the good news about this new life. The hilarious end to this uh, initial interaction is that the leaders who are so hung up on power and politics and authority discover, to their great embarrassment, that they have none. Their authority is shown to be a joke. They have none, they can't even keep a few Galilean fishermen in their jail for one night. They can't even manage that. Um, so hearing that this, the disciples are sharing the good news in the temple courts, they like, can't figure out how it happened, but there they are, back doing it again. They have them arrested again. I'm not quite sure what their plan is at this point. Just do it every day or something like that. But um, verse 27, we read, the apostles were 
brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. What would you do at this point? Imagine you were one of these apostles brought in before this group and told what they'd been told. Brought before a huge room of very impressive, powerful men and told to be quiet. Stop talking about Jesus. What would you do? I suspect many of us at this point would fold. We'd say, okay, we'll keep our religion to ourselves. Just don't hurt us. We don't want to cause trouble. We don't want the discomfort. We don't want to go to jail. We don't you know, we'll try and be polite. We'll try and we'll try and just get on with life in our corner of the world and we would at this point maybe fold. Perhaps some of us might be a little bolder. Perhaps we would recall stories like this from the Bible and remember that the Holy Spirit works boldness in our lives and so we might pray, Holy Spirit, give us courage and then you would very bravely negotiate. Do you think that's something you might do? You know, like... Say to the Sanhedrin, I can see that you're upset by what we're saying. Can we maybe come to a compromise? You guys can do your teaching in the temple courts on Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And we'll do the other... Actually, you can have Saturday as well. That's an important day to you. We'll, we'll do that as a sweetener. Maybe you would um, try and compromise. Look at the response of the apostles. They show no compromise at all. They're not looking for trouble. But they also don't care about trouble because they are determined to speak the truth. Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. I think the key word here is witness. At the heart of it, a witness is someone who speaks what they know to be true. Even if people don't like that truth, even if it's uh, inconvenient or uncomfortable, or even they will speak the truth to those who might actively oppose that truth, try to silence it. A witness will not be lied to and will refuse to lie to others. You and I both know that it is hard to be a witness, though. It is. A big reason for this is because we have bought into that uh, that lie that there, there should be a distinction between public and private for us, that I can be a Christian in private and sort of a neutral person in public. The truth is there is nothing more destructive to the sharing of the Christian gospel than this distinction between public and private. It's what leads people to saying things like, yes, Jesus is Lord, but that's just my personal belief. Like, if Jesus is Lord, that is not something that is just personal. He's Lord of every person. It's something that affects all people everywhere. So the apostles won't have any of that. Jesus is Lord, it's not just their opinion, it's a fact and it affects the whole world and they feel everyone needs to hear about it. It's such good news. To the apostles, the truth they know in private is the same truth that shapes their speech in public. 
these early disciples, they saw huge numbers of converts, certainly because of the Holy Spirit's work, but also because of the way the Holy Spirit used their witness. That is, their refusal to be private Christians and to keep truth to themselves. They're a great example to us. Uh, Now I'm going to share something which um, could, uh, it's a little bit risky in that uh, we don't necessarily know each other super well, so um, just hear this in in the manner in which it's intended, like hopefully it won't come across as like a misunderstanding or anything like that, but hopefully just an idea that might help you think about this, um, I guess, idea of being a a witness and someone whose public and private life matches. Um, This is a story that... uh, colleague of mine who does uni ministry in Victoria, um, he tells his students, uh, he's very passionate about evangelism, and he tells his students, if you want to be a good witness, you've got to learn, uh, you've got to look to and learn from your gay friends and be more like them. Okay, obviously a little bit provocative, a little bit cheeky, but what he means is you've got to look at them and notice how they're quite comfortable with who they are both in public and in private, and if you happen to be offended by that, well, that's kind of your problem. Uh, They're okay with that. They're they're not um, uh, sort of looking for offence, but if that's what happens, well, this is who I am. Uh, There's something to that, I think. And for us, we're not, uh, you know, if you're you're a Christian, you want to be open in a sense, you want to be um, proud about it, but not in a way which detracts from the humility, which is, of course, um, what we're called to as we live for Jesus. But uh, for that kind of consistency we're like this is who I am both in public and in private that's what we're aiming for early next semester so around August you'll hopefully hear about Jesus week maybe have an opportunity to pray again around that Jesus week at our universities is a moment in our calendar each year where we try to create lots and lots of opportunities for students to be bold and to share um, the gospel with their classmates and with others on campus we create lots of opportunities for spiritual questions and for discussions to happen Uh, And every year I see first years who hear about Jesus Week and are initially thinking, like, that just sounds crazy, that sounds terrifying. But for many, it's a time where they they kind of give it a go. It might be a first time they've really tried to be a Christian in public, certainly in that university setting. But by third or fourth year, I always see how they grow enormously in confidence. And I guess my encouragement to all of us is that that is what being a witness is like. Sometimes it does seem sometimes it takes a bit of practice maybe two three four many times of maybe getting it right maybe not doing so well but keeping on going it's something that gets easier and we get better at with practice okay the next thing uh, the second commonly held belief that this passage challenges is that christianity will soon die out Uh, it's for a different reason that people say this in our time but you know that people do sort of think this and hope this that will kind of just fade off into irrelevance Um, But this is also something which we see is hoped for in the pages of the Bible. It's for a different reason, but it's exactly the argument that Gamaliel makes in today's passage. So look again at verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. So that's interesting, isn't it? The Jesus thing 
that's not the first time it's happened in their part of the world in recent history. This sort of person who rises up, gains prominence, is killed, and then everyone's scattered. That's happened a few times already. And so the hope is that might happen to the Christians too. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Gamaliel appears to think that Christianity is man-made nonsense. Well, actually, we don't know what's inside his, his mind, but we suspect, and certainly his other members of the council, think that Christianity is nonsense, it's futile, it's heading nowhere, and they just want to give it a helping hand by shutting it down. But he says, just stop and think about this a little bit. If this is actually from God, what you're doing is destined to fail. You can't stop something that God is in. He actually, uh, while modern people might share um, some of the uh, impulse to hope that Christianity will just die out and go away, Gamaliel actually is a little bit smarter and has more insight than many modern people because he's humble enough to admit that he might be wrong. In verse 38, he says, leave them alone. If their purpose is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. That's a good argument, isn't it? And history shows just how wise Gamaliel was to reserve judgment. The Christian movement, as it turns out, was from God. It kept growing. It didn't sort of disband and, and fade into irrelevance like those other uh, examples that we saw in the passage. The Christian movement was from God and it grew because God kept adding to the number of believers and he continues to do so today here we are 2,000 years later and God is still doing what he's always been doing building his kingdom billions of people are Christians Christianity is growing at an incredible rate in many parts of the world um, and it continues to be the story of communities like this people are coming to know Jesus it's amazing I wanted to, um, I wanted to in interview Naomi, one of your um, people who works with us uh, at, um, at uh, one of the unis in the city. She's unwell today, so couldn't be here. But I particularly wanted um, to uh, share a, a, have her share a story about how she's been uh, meeting with some people who have become Christians in this first part of the year, reading with uh, ESs, reading the Bible together, and, and that's been just so amazing to see. Uh, it's been part of what I've had the privilege of doing with a guy who uh, was uh, sort of baptized as an infant religions has been almost no part of his life but as an adult he's been wanting to reconnect with that and just discover what it's about he's also become a believer over the last few months so god continues to do this and uh, it, and the story of humanism hasn't even been close to coming true um, that story that as we get more educated that religion will just fade into into irrelevance actually even with increasing education the world is becoming a more religious place not less the key here uh, is if you want to be an effective witness, if you want to be effective in your own witness, if you want this to be a community where there is an effective witness going out, um, this passage is very helpful because it helps us to know that we are on the unstoppable team. We're on the team that can't be stopped. The apostles were pressured into thinking that they are the losing team, that they will be stopped. And if you won't stop, we'll put you in jail. As long as we believe that God is not faithfully growing his kingdom, that this gospel is stoppable in some way, as long as we believe that, we're going to feel 
defeated, embarrassed, beaten. And you can hear those voices very loudly. They're anywhere. You, you go and look anytime you turn on uh, media of some sort. But the truth they believed, uh, these apostles believed, and which his history has vindicated, is that what we're doing, this is truly from God, and you can't stop it. You can never stop the advance of the good news about Jesus the King. And we need that kind of confidence, don't we? We need that encouragement that God is in this, that we are on the winning, the unstoppable team. And so we want others to join us too, to know the King and to live life as part of his people, as part of his kingdom. So Jesus is building his church. He's doing it through the witness of people like you and, and me, people who refuse to keep our Christianity to ourselves, people who will confidently know that, yes, God has made Jesus king, not just for us, but king of all people everywhere. And so as we finish, may we be encouraged again from the apostles' example. The way this uh, episode ends is just uh, so helpful. Uh, we read verse 42, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. May that be so for all of us and for this community. Amen.